Welcome along to the Candy Pants Lifestyle Podcast. I'm Nick, and this week we speak to the man who rebranded veganism, Mr. Louis Blake. But don't worry, this isn't another tree hugger on the internet telling you why you should stop eating meat, but rather a marketing masterclass from the man who has done the almost impossible, building the UK's biggest vegan restaurant where 80% of his customers aren't even vegan. He is a man on a mission, and this is the journey of Louis Blake. Louis, thanks so much for doing this. How are you doing? Good to chat, man. Yeah, I'm really good. How are you? Yeah, I'm all right. I mean, the last few days I've spent just so much time like, listening, like reading all the stuff you've put out and finding out a bit more about you. I'm honestly fascinated because you're clearly at the forefront of something that is very quickly becoming so, so popular. Yeah, everyone thought I was nuts six years ago, but I bet. <laughs> starting to become popular now, isn't it? So play along with this here. If you had to, if you're in a lift, and before you got to the bottom, you had to explain to somebody very briefly what it is you do. What would you say? <laughs> Start with um, an easy one. Yeah, yeah. Um, I would say I I I run run vegan restaurants for the most part. So what was it that brought you to the point where you decided to run vegan and plant-based restaurants? Um, I guess we need to go a fair way back, to be honest. And it's, yeah. it's interesting, isn't it? When you, when you look at stuff, when you look back on stuff, you, you don't always necessarily join the dots. But there, there's obviously everything happens for a reason and things kind of line up to get you where you are. So um, I went into, I used to do, uh, I started in football actually, funnily enough, I left school when I was 16 and went into football, wasn't good enough to play, but started coaching and kind of had this idea that I wanted to do something that I, that I loved. I didn't want to go to work every day and sit behind the desk and, you know, work for somebody else. Yeah. Terrible, terrible at being told what to do, um, what time to be somewhere and just didn't see the point in working purely for money. Um, so I got really into football coaching I, I, I started my little business when I was 16 then I went off to New York and I went to Mexico and when I came when I was in Mexico I actually worked for a guy who was running this massive football academy and he I saw the money he was making I was involved from the start and I thought well I'm I can see the inside of this operation I think I could do this for myself so I moved back to the UK and set up my own one okay and I think when you start when you start a business like that and you see actually and you have that naivety about how easy it is and you just start doing it. You're like, ah, oh, well, if I can get paid for this and it's someone I love and I can make money out of it, what else do I love that I can get paid for? And yeah. I think it's like most 21-year-old, 20, 21-year-olds, you love drinking, right? Yeah. <laughs> so um, so, uh, so I li- obviously I, I moved back to Norwich from Mexico and at that point there wasn't really any kind of, the kind of n- n- nights that were being that were on there were all ran by the venues. They were all, it yeah, was it's all a big culture boring. switch, isn't it? From yeah, you know, America, it like, Mexico to Norwich. Yeah, exactly. So it was all like it was very drinks led, like discount led, and even like the more like the nicer clubs. You know, just it was pretty basic. So having spent, I spent a lot of time in London, going out in the West End and stuff. A few of my friends that played football used to go down and see them and go out with them, and I, I basically conceptualised this kind of premium. Um, well for Norwich premium uh, kind of night uh, on, a, on a Wednesday which was the quietest night the club had and the only night they'd give me I took the door money they took the bar money put on this night and 
use social media to drive it. And, and we end up getting hundreds and hundreds of people coming out every Wednesday. Then we started doing the Saturday. Then, you know, started making what for a 21-year-old was, you know, a pretty decent amount of money. And then putting nights in other cities, went over to Cambridge then to, and eventually down to London um, and then bought a club. So right. I found myself running these, yeah, running all these these uh, these these kind of things at a fairly young age. And from that point, I kind of lost touch with why I was doing it, which was to have fun and do something I enjoyed and wanted to wake up and do. And it started becoming all about the money. And I think when that happens, it's a very slippery slope. And I kind of was got, there a point that you realised you'd lost touch with what you love doing? I think, I think. I'm I'm one of these people that does everything to extremes. So I have to do everything like 100 miles an hour, like fully, fully immersed in whatever I'm doing. And when I eventually moved to London and was doing nights in London and and being involved in kind of the club scene there, I was out like six, seven nights a week, drinking too much. Um, I started another. I'd started another company. I started a recruitment company within the hospitality industry at the same time. So I was running that in the daytime, doing nights in the evening, um, and just trying to make as much money as I could. And it stopped yeah. becoming fun. It stopped becoming fun. You know what started as something that was that was really enjoyable, and I saw the value it gave to other people. It started becoming about me. It started becoming very, very selfish. I think at that point, and it took me getting kind of burnout when I was yeah. twenty four, twenty five, and um, to kind of take a step back. And that's when the the vegan kind of realization happened. What did me. that was, burnout look like? How did that come about? So. I was I was five six nights a week in the West End, and then I was five six days a week in the city in the daytime running the the business that we had there, um, and uh, you know I, during that time I was eating out every single meal. I wasn't cooking at home at all. I was probably eating mainly like a poor diet. But you convince yourself because you're going still going to the gym that you're you know that you're all right. And drinking yeah. that much isn't you know isn't conducive to a to a healthy body anyway so burnout for me was just chronic fatigue unable to get out of bed you know I had to get really really tired all the time um and during that burnout period I was looking at how can I get my energy back and I was looking online and the consistent advice that I saw with regards to nutrition was an increase in fruits and vegetables a decrease in processed food and a decrease in sugar um, which I'm sure we can all agree on, vegan or otherwise, are, are probably the are cornerstones of a, of a good of a good uh, good approach. Um, and yeah, just ended up adopting this plant-based diet for a month, and my energy and my skin and everything just improved. Um, and it was all about health. I, I didn't even know anything about the kind of the ethical side of it or the environmental side of it. It was all really just health. And yeah. at that point, I didn't know anyone else that was a vegan. I didn't consider myself a vegan because I didn't really know what it was. But You were a bit anyone, ahead of the curve, really, weren't you? Maybe, yeah, maybe. At, at that point, it was very unrelatable for me. That I was looking for like kind of advice and stuff online. And anyone that was putting content out, I didn't really feel like I could relate to. So like, I wouldn't go to the events or anything like that because I didn't really feel like anyone was really... I was on the same, had the same interest as anyone. You know, but what, but what did happen... Um, from there as I started feeling like amazing when you discover something that, that that changes your life in that way and in a short space of time my energy came back I've, my, I found my memory improved my my cognitive function in general improved I just started telling people I became that stereotypical preachy vegan that was yeah. telling everyone they needed they needed to get on it and do the same as me um, and then it, at that point it was such a switch from what I had been doing um, people thought I'd lost the plot <laughs> Um, <laughs> people thought I'd lost my mind because obviously everyone the stereotype of a vegan back then and still a little bit now is kind of like 
you know, like you say, like kind of hippie, a little bit odd. Um, yeah, like tree hugger vibe type of thing. Yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. Um, but through that process, you know, I, I started getting really interested in it and I started looking into it and it just made complete sense to me. I, I watched more documentaries and I bought more books and started going to talks and I, I really connected with with it and it kind of gave me a bit of a, a light bulb moment when I kind of realized that at the start when I started my journey with with going into into my businesses I was focused on how to give out value to other people and how to do it in a way that was fun for me fun for them and everyone kind of won and then when I moved into London and, and I started you know becoming successful at that and making money it started becoming more about the money and, and more about me and going vegan kind of reconnected me to the way that my own choices and what I do impacts other people. So by going to a shop and buying product A over product B, the knock-on effect that I'm having on other people by making that choice. So I, I kind of, it kind of made me really kind of a lot more conscious and ethic in the way that I lived. Um, and as a result, it then directed what I wanted to do for work again because I then had the realisation that my businesses shouldn't just be fun, they shouldn't just be about making money, they should be ultimately about helping people and solving problems and I mean kind of blasphemy to the vegans for me saying that it's not necessarily that the, the reducing the meat and the dairy was the major thing I think for me it was the increase in nutrient dense foods that I wasn't already eating so you know where before I'd eat a lot of kind of like a lot of meat obviously a lot of dairy and a lot of like grains etc yeah. introducing more vegetables into my diet more fruits into my diet getting interested in superfoods starting to like juice and, and make smoothies and I'm just, you're just ingesting more good stuff. You're Don't filling yourself up with better stuff than you were. Yeah, yeah. And what, you know, you're, you're, you're probably getting the same amount of protein, but you're getting it from a different source. And I think the, the da- removing the dairy was a big one for me in terms of skin because my skin cleared up completely when, when, I, when I ditched the dairy. Um, yeah, it just, I, I think as well, the other thing that you, that, that you realise is no one thinks it's weird when you go to a bar and you get everyone a shot and you do another one and another one, you know, and, and within an hour you've had five or six shots and four, yeah. four drinks. But if you're going to drink more than one juice in a day, people tell you it's going to be bad for you or more than one smoothie. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. It's like we've got this weird kind of like... Very upside down narrative. approach to stuff, haven't we? Yeah, Yeah. exactly, exactly. And I think what, I think kind of, the, I, I got, I think whenever we do well with stuff is because we believe in it and we believe it's got a greater purpose than ourselves. And what that came about for me was trying to help people and change the narrative on veganism at that time and try and show people that actually, you know, it's not weird. It's not, um, emasculating. It's, it's not, um, going to make you skinny. Um, actually, you know, it can make you feel great and it has a positive impact, impact and knock on effect. Um, so with that in mind, I kind of left behind what I was doing with the club staff and with the other businesses and just focused on trying to drive that. And it was, it was an uncertain time because I left behind a couple of businesses. Um, but ultimately, it led to doing what I loved, which was marketing, branding. I started working with some kind of smaller vegan companies. I worked with a few bigger brands that were launching vegan products and try to kind of, I didn't consciously try and become like a thought leader or somebody in that space that that, that, that spoke up, but it just kind yeah. of organically happened. I ended up speaking at events and then spoke at London School of Economics, University College London. So I had this, this take on kind of... Um, plant-based economics and how the market was going to shift that way so I was saying this stuff a while ago why do you think there was that shift I think there's a few reasons I think um the fact that the environmental um situation we find ourselves in with regards to emissions ocean dead zones um you know the Amazon 
beer being, being burnt down to make way for, for grazing, etc. These issues are not only are more apparent to us in our everyday lives because of social media and the news, but I feel like people are now connecting a bit more as we move towards more of a global society. Um, I think health, again, we're going through like a wellness boom over the last few years and people are exploring new diets and new ways of living. And I think there's been a big celebrity adoption, which has helped as well. It's become more normal. Um, and certainly that was what I was trying to, trying to achieve, trying to normalise it. And probably the same as you, I've, I found that when I, was eat, when I was eating food, people were curious. So the easiest way for me to have the conversation wasn't to get into a debate with someone about whether it was right or wrong or whether it was good or bad. It was just to show, give them food, start yeah. feeding people. I'm, I'm not a cook, but I would take people to eat. Now, the problem I came across when I took people to eat was typically vegan restaurants at that time weren't set up to cater for non-vegans. So I would go in there and not know what anything was on the menu. I, or I'd sit there and I'd, everyone would be staring at me because I'm wearing a, you know, what, like a, a coat with like animal yeah. fur on it. Or whatever. Do you know what I mean? Like, yeah. yeah. I, I, I'm, I wasn't a very vegan vegan, if that makes sense. And so when I was trying to take people to eat in these places to show them how good the food was, the food was great, but they felt they, you know, it was unrelatable to them in terms of a restaurant setting. So it just became really obvious to me that a way to change that would be for me to create my own restaurant. I'd had the experience in terms of, I had two nightclubs before. Um, I'd opened those two. I'd, you know, essentially been been marketing um, for seven, eight years at that point and felt comfortable with it through the nights and stuff. And I had this newfound passion for veganism. So restaurant seems a really logical step and again i had the benefit of naivety because if i knew then what i knew it no now i, I wouldn't have it <laughs> because it, it's the hardest business you're ever gonna it's done I'm, I'm, I'm joking but it's the hardest business you can ever possibly do the hardest hardest one much harder than clubs obviously you came from a marketing background and a branding background do you think that essentially one of the biggest problems veganism had was a branding problem it wasn't perceived as accessible or cool or mainstream yeah, definitely in terms of public perception around what veganism is. Um, and it still isn't great today. You know, it's definitely improving. It's definitely more readily, readily available and it's more acceptable. Um, but at that point, a lot of people were, were didn't want to be considered a vegan or, or tell people they were vegan because of the stereotypes that were associated with it. Particularly men, you know, it's we've kind of got this... this um, cultural narrative that runs uh, that suggests that men have to behave in a certain way and veganism was contradictory to that so I feel like a lot of men couldn't felt they felt uncomfortable about um, adopting a vegan diet but it's, it's improving but yeah there, there's certainly that to it. How helpful was not to minimize a very long journey and simplify it but how helpful was something like Game Changers on Netflix to that whole cause of rebranding veganism. Oh, it was massively helpful because it basically went through. I, I feel like the way they produced that film was they sat there and were like, were like, right, what is every question we've ever been asked or anything we've ever been challenged with on veganism? And then they found the perfect person to combat that question and to answer it. So I think it did really well. Now, don't get me wrong. You know, was it sensationalized? Yes, to a degree. There were You could argue that. Um, obviously it's uh, you know pe the argument from a lot of people was well it's a one-sided argument I'm like well yeah that, that, that's how most of these things are um, but I, th I, I found that a lot of people messaged me on social media about it, it we noticed a definitely a an uplift in the restaurants with people coming in that maybe hadn't come in to try to try their plant-based food before so and I think there's going to be more of those kind of documentaries and uh, as more people um, adopt you know that lifestyle choice to go back to your journey specifically what 
And how did it come about that you opened a three-story vegan restaurant in Norwich? Because some people must have just gone, nah, you've lost the plot. <laughs> yeah, but I've, I've been hearing that for years, so I just, it doesn't, it just kind of brushes off now. But yeah, do you know what? It, it, what for sure, because, you know, again, even two years ago, it was, veganism wasn't, wasn't as, as popular as it is now. I, I kind of figured out that I would have to try and meet customers, or potential customers, at the intersection of what we did and what they cared about in a way that didn't alienate them. So what I mean by that is if, for example, we sell plant-based food, but they're not plant-based and they don't like plant-based food, what do they like that is relatable to what we do? So they might be interested in health. They might be interested in sustainability. They might be interested in yoga. Might so be you look for the training. message that appeals to them. It, we, look at, we look for touch points where we can communicate with them without necessarily it being under the guise of veganism. So what I kind of determined was a few different factors. The first thing was that the reason people choose restaurants now is focused on experience and aesthetic as much as it is food. So yeah. we created a very kind of um, aesthetically um, impressive space for people. Um, I also recognise that they need to sweat the asset and consider um, consider revenue on the basis of per square foot, not just revenue as is. So looking at how I could utilise the full space. So we had a cafe downstairs, a restaurant on the middle floor, uh, a bar and an event space on the floor above that, a kitchen that runs multiple delivery concepts. So really getting the most out of the building where maybe there wouldn't be 50 people for lunch a day, but there might be 10 cafe customers, 12 takeaway customers, 20 lunch customers, etc. cetera. Yeah. Um, and I think I just, believe, I just believed in it so much. It just, it just seems obvious to me that this was the way the world was going to go and it needed to. And we felt like we could coerce people into adopting it by being creative and I think like any marketer I just relished the challenge I was like this this seems impossible it seems really difficult and I'll know if if it's a result of our efforts because there isn't the footfall here there isn't the the demand for vegan food here at the moment and the building we're going into has failed the last five people that had it so um yeah I think there was a little bit of ego there and a little bit of uh you know rising to the challenge because looking at it from an outsider, because you guys have gone, am I right in thinking you, you, you no single-use plastic, is that right? Yeah. As well? Correct. So, I mean, when you think about that, it's almost looking at it, you think, God, you've given yourself every possible challenge. You couldn't have made it any harder for yourself, really, if you tried. Do you, do you want to know what's, it, what's the hardest thing as well? It's, it's vegans. One of the hardest thing. I, really? The, the, thing that, the thing that I couldn't believe when we opened was, so we... We also did this thing where we documented the entire build process because being a local, a quite, Norwich is, is kind of an isolated city where it has a really strong sense of community, even though it's a city and word mm-hmm. spreads very quickly. So I knew if I could get people hooked and interested on what we were doing um, before we opened, that they'd be curious to come in and see when we did open. So we worked with a local interior designer and we documented the entire build process. So when we so opened... So they felt they were part of that journey. Ex- exactly. Yeah. They brought into the journey. We involved them. We were, we were basically let to a degree let our customers dictate part of what happened so like should this go here what color should this be um and that was one of the strategies that we used but when we opened well we were inundated it, it launched really really well but the, the backlash that we got that i didn't expect was actually from the vegan community because what i was doing was i was i was trying to essentially go after non-vegan customers because i recognized that there probably wasn't enough vegan well there definitely wasn't enough vegan customers in that area to sustain a building of that size. But also because if I looked at my mission and what I was trying to achieve and getting more people to eat this kind of food, people that are already vegan are already doing it. You know, that there's, 
yeah, they're, they're more than welcome, but they're not who we're necessarily going after and going to make an impact with. But what did happen was the people that are vegan in that community didn't support it and, in fact, even tried to sabotage it. Um, Why is that, do you think? I think, it's, I, think they, I think they misinterpreted our intention. I think they thought we were trying to monetize veganism. You know, we, we weren't using the word vegan anywhere, so maybe we weren't fully supporting it. It's, it's, hard, it's hard to know. Um, and I think I'd come from, I'd been in London for seven years, so I kind of came back and I didn't, I didn't uh, like integrate with that community because there wasn't anything I could relate to them on other than the fact they're all vegan, you know? So yeah. I just went ahead and opened this restaurant in, in the city where I hadn't, you know, necessarily dealt with them. So it, it was weird. There's a little community of them, of them there that didn't really support. And that's changed over the, since we've been open, but it made it more difficult at the start. You kind of question, well, surely these should be the people that are supporting us, not you know, not um, talking badly about us. How did you win them round? I think it was just consistently and consistently being truthful and being authentic with what we're doing. I think that always shines through in the end. If, you, if you're doing it for the right reasons and you're genuine, you're authentic, I think, uh, I think that comes through. So it took a little while, but they, um, yeah, well, I definitely, I'd even say now though, 85% of our customers aren't vegan at all. I mean, that's mental, isn't it, really, to think about? Yeah, yeah, definitely. But I think people are eating less meat, less dairy, um, I think also if you're looking to go out for food somewhere, you know, somewhere smart and dress up nice and make a night of it, but you want to eat healthy food, not not just vegan food, but healthier food, you're normally very limited. Most food is very, you know, cooks in a lot of oil and uses, you know, a lot of process, processed foods, etc. You know, we're fully plant-based, lots of whole foods, very, very healthy. Um, but with the kind of the the nicer decor and interior where you can get dressed up and, and go on a date or out with friends. So interestingly, you do you think that you you found essentially you had to almost do veganism slightly in disguise until it was cool enough to work? That's exactly what it is, yeah. That's exactly what it was. One thing I'm interested in is obviously you're saying that 85% of your customers aren't actually vegan. How do you, obviously you've got a cafe there as well, and how do you deal with this thing of going somebody i've heard you say talk about this and i think it's fascinating really that people can walk into the cafe find for a coffee find out you don't have cow's milk then walk out how do you adapt to that <laughs> it, it blew my mind to start with because we would we'd have it in the restaurant people would come in and they'd realize it was vegan and leave and you know it happened a few times in the cafe so i think it's just it's about educating the staff and working with the staff so that they know how to deal with it how do you, you know, deal with that? Kind of engage people in conversation. I think you just get engaged people in conversation and you just, you know, you, you very gently question their reasoning and, and, or what we did, what we do is give them the coffee for free and be like, try it. Cause if they like it, they're going to come back anyway. And the cost of a cup of coffee is negligible. So a lot of the time it's, it's, it's trying to, it's trying to get it in front of people. Um, so they, they realize that it's normal and it's actually really good. I mean, I challenge anyone to have like a coconut milk latte and not love it. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it was it was making it lowering lowering the barrier to entry, giving it for free, opening up a dialogue with people, and we all you know we, we're very good at taking the stance of like non judgment. You know, we're, we're not judging people. You know, we're aware that everyone's operating from their level of perspective and experience, and you know we're all evolving constantly. So if somebody comes in and is like, yeah, I'm a massive meat, cool, you're more than welcome. That, that's absolutely fine. As much as somebody who's a you know a vegan activist you know everyone's welcome do you think that's where previously maybe some vegan brands have got it wrong because they were even unintentionally a bit judgmental 
Yeah, and I think when you're in it, it's very hard to be conscious of that, particularly those people that have been vegan for a long time. Um, it's one of the things that we took into... When we opened in Brighton, it was it was shocking to me that... We, I was looking at Brighton, and Brighton's probably the most vegan place in the country. And you're doing your kind of market analysis, your competitor analysis there, and there's hardly any vegan restaurants. Uh, fully vegan restaurants. In fact, there isn't any fully vegan, more formal dining restaurants in Brighton. And when I'm speaking to people down there and... My business partner, Russ, is from there, lives there. And he's saying that the the issue is that they're either so vegan that mainstream customers and tourists don't go there and yeah. the vegan community isn't big enough to support it, or they're more of the kind of casual, uh, fast casual type restaurants, of which there are some good ones there. So, yeah, I think the comp- the reason I was so confident going to Brighton because I knew that our, our model and our method would work particularly if you can make it work in Norwich. I mean, if you make it work in Norwich, you can make it work anywhere. (laughs) (laughs) Looking back on the whole process of having that restaurant and building it from the ground up, essentially, what do you think you kind of really wish you knew then that you know now? Um, I wouldn't change anything because I, I really believe that the bigger your challenge is, the better you become. And, you know, when you set these massive audacious goals you're going to get presented with challenges that correlate in terms of how big they are so in terms of individual I mean I, I didn't re- appreciate how resilient have to, I would have to be I mean I thought I was pretty resilient before that but this has just been the, the stress and the level of stress that I'm able to deal with now is is entirely different to the level of stress that would have killed me a couple of years ago um, so I think, yeah, just the resilience to just, just ride, ride out each, each problem, find a solution, learn from it, grow from it. And yeah, I wouldn't, I wouldn't necessarily change anything though, or, or want to know anything at that time. I think I'm glad I was naive because I maybe wouldn't have done it had I not been. What, what do you think it is that's made you more resilient? I think it's, I think it's the way you approach failure, approach, um, losses, learnings, etc. You know, I, I don't really look at anything as final. I don't think fa- failure is only final when you stop going. So if, if you fail at something or something goes wrong, it's more of a case of, all right, what can I draw from that? That means that next time I go out and, and do something that I've got a better chance of succeeding. So what does success for you, what does it look like now? I think it's ongoing. It's, 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 it's an ongoing process of realising an ideal that benefits you, myself and other people and, and the planet at large. Um, I think it's being in service of other people for... And, and staying connected to that. I mean, God, we've tried on this podcast not to mention the C word, but obviously you kind of have to ask about coronavirus. And I've seen <laughs> scary stuff about, you know, there's people are saying so many restaurants just will not come back from this. How do you kind of adapt to that challenge in a sense, kind of find a way to overcome it, do you think? I just see opportunity, to be honest. You know, we've opened two new kitchens during this downtime for delivery. I've We've taken a new concept from Norwich into London and launched that. We're looking at ways of diversifying our offering online to digitalise what we do. Um, looking at how we can move laterally and set up um, different e-commerce platform within the restaurant brand and sell out ingredients. Like I think it's been an amazing opportunity for for, for brands to to pivot and and look into new avenues which can continue to serve them when they reopen. And look, when we do reopen. It's going to force people to be even better at what they do, to be have even tighter cross controls, to provide even a better service. And a lot of brands and restaurants won't survive this. Um, I'm confident that we will um, with all sites. I'm confident that um, the world is going to move towards 
a food system that ultimately is more sustainable and, and more focused on health foods. So I think we're going to be well positioned. And I think if, you know, for those people that who, who are going to suffer from this, it's looking at the opportunity it creates to move on to something else and, and the space it creates to welcome in um, new things and, you know, better things. And do you think that because of what's gone on, it's actually in a strange way going to push people towards that sustainability and veganism like as a movement just because people are more conscious of it? I think, yeah, for a few reasons. I think, well, first and foremost, whether this virus did start with a bat or not, you can argue either way. You can speculate either way. We're probably not going to know. Um, if you look at a lot of these diseases that threaten um, global uh, health, most of them are transferred in animal, by animals or starting animals. SARS, mad cow disease. There's been loads over the last few years, and they're all a, a byproduct of industrialized animal agriculture for the most part, or the illegal, illicit trade and consumption of animals. So, I think the fact that this one's been so severe, it should cause people to question the root cause. And if they can make the connection between the behaviours they exhibit on a daily basis, e.g., going and something as simple as going in and buying an animal product in the supermarket economically encourages the continuation of that paradigm so if we can look at the global impact and reduce that down to our individual behavior i think we're definitely going to see a change so finally a little bit of a fun one if you could make a phone call to your past self right and you could ring louis when you'd you were 25 you've just had this kind of essentially like you've just found you completely run down and you're still doing the nightlife stuff what would you say to him now Keep going. It's gonna. It's gonna work out. You're gonna. You, you know. You're gonna hit a wall at some point, and that wall's gonna be the catalyst for change. So, yeah. Keep going. Get, get. The next hangover is gonna be the one that changes it all. <laughs> a hangover certainly did change it all for Louis. And honestly, the more of his stuff that I have watched and listened to, some of the things he is up to are absolutely fascinating. He really is worth a follow on Instagram. He is Louis underscore Blake. You'll find his Erpingham House restaurants in both Norwich and Brighton, but you can also find his ridiculously good vegan doco pizzas and donut restaurant in London, and that's available on Deliveroo. As always, we'll be back next week with another guest, but in the meantime, don't forget to tune in to Candy Pants Radio. They have a new show every single Thursday, and you just need to search Candy Pants wherever you like to listen to your podcasts. But... Until then, thank you very much for listening as always, and we'll see you all very soon.